daily digest of the who, what, and why of Waterloo Region. Welcome to Kitchener Today on City News 570. Is this embarrassing or not? So I'm listening to Paul McPhee doing the news there, and and they're they're celebrating Joni Mitchell with, I didn't catch what it is, I'm sorry. Is it terrible? For some reason, I get Joni Mitchell and Janis Joplin mixed up. (laughs) They both begin with a J. They were both kind of popular around the same time, right? (laughs) 60s, 70s. And I told that to my wife a, a couple of months ago, and she's like, how can you, they're not even remotely the same. That's the life of producer Polly. Producer Polly in with you on Kitchener Today on City News 570. And look who's back! Producer Brittany Woo! back in the house! <laughs> Brittany's back. All right! Well, I don't know if that's how it goes, Polly. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? You feeling good? Yeah, I feel great. You're back from the brink of being at home. <laughs> yes. So, the producer Polly and Brittany in with you today, and uh, we're going to have lots and lots of fun. Now, at 2.30, we're going to be speaking with Lee Cooney. Now, I don't want to give too much away, but she runs a very unique movie theater in Stratford. And it sounds interesting. And uh, I wouldn't mind going Mm -hmm. to check it out myself. So that's at 2.30. I've lived in Stratford now for almost a year, Paul. And I had no idea that this place even existed. I think it's fairly new. They've only been around a couple of years. I pulled Mm -hmm. up a a Google map of it this morning and it was showing a temporary sign. I'm guessing it's no longer a temporary sign, you know, because that was maybe a year or so ago. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, very unique movie theater in Stratford. Very cool. Uh, Premier Ford is making some sort of an announcement today. Mm -hmm. We don't know what it is. We're not going to carry the announcement, but as we sometimes do, we carry the Q&A because that's often the most interesting part. And Brittany, you were, there was some story that broke this morning about some money mm-hmm. that the Ford government may have been in possession of that, that maybe could have been used. Some yeah, could something have been used. along the lines of $5.5 billion in federal funding. So I wonder if he'll be asked about that yep. in the Q&A. So we're doing that at 2 o'clock. At 1 o'clock... There, uh, the, what is her name? Uh, Shana Rosenbaum will be talking to us about a piece that she co-wrote in the conversation called Children Struggle More Than Adults to Recognize Masked Faces. And so that piece was very interesting. We'll be doing that at 1 o'clock. And at 12.30, we'll be speaking with Tracy Velko, of course, from the Velko team. The Bank of Canada announcing an interest rate hike yesterday. And for people like me who are on variable mortgages, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Are you on a variable? No, I'm on a fixed. You're on a fixed. We, mm-hmm. we were going back and forth. We were talked into a variable for a few different reasons. But, yeah, so my mortgage payment's going up. I'm 
wonder by how much. And I'm sure it's not all about me. There are other people who <laughs> I'm sure are in similar situations. Mm-hmm. What does this mean? How long would this last? Will there be other interest mm-hmm. rate hikes? Will it slow the market down? That's one of the questions I was going to ask Tracy at 1230. Mm-hmm. Is this going to kind of slow the, the hot housing market? So as we do, as we've been doing whenever we've been hosting, we're going to talk about some of the different special days that are upon us. Every day is something. Today is a lot of things. I don't even have time to go through the entire list. (laughs) But today, for instance, is World Wildlife Day. Okay. So the world is full of amazing creatures from every possible medium, from birds in the air to the majestic whales of the sea, wildlife abounds in the most unusual and unexpected places, wildlife benefits us in many ways and has since timed out of mind World Wildlife Day is a day to remind us of our responsibilities to our world and the life forms we share it with. So I'll be feeding some squirrels today. Oh, that's so nice, Polly. I love my squirrels. <laughs> world Wildlife Day. Now this, of all these special days that I've ever seen, this is the most bizarre one. It's Today is... What if cats and dogs had opposable thumbs day? What? Who even knew we needed a day for that? Imagine. I, this oh, is just a question somebody I, has asked I, I, and, yeah. and then made a day of it? I guess. Imagine a world where our favorite furry companions had thumbs, opposable ones, thumbs that allowed them to open their own food, easily steal your possessions, and generally make them more trouble than they already are, what kind of world would that be? You know what is just mind-blowing is the fact that these are questions, Polly, that keep people awake at night. Actually, you know, I've never even occurred, that's never even occurred to me. <laughs> what if my cat had opposable thumbs? But, but the person that asked that question and has wondered it and probably lies awake at night, what if my cat or dog had opposable thumbs? And what do you have to do to declare something a day? Right? I, like, yeah, I don't know. Like, of course, I can declare any day that I want, but for this, for this to, like, appear on a website that chronicles all the <laughs> national days. For it to get printed in yes. a calendar. Somebody made an editorial decision <laughs> that today is what if cats and dogs had opposable thumbs day. I don't know how that happens. Also today is national, wait for it, Canadian Bacon Day. Canadian, C- Canadian Bacon, bacon. Day. For meat lovers, there's not much that is better than a good old slices of yummy bacon in sandwiches fried up on breakfast plates, served with pancakes, even served with syrup. Bacon is the meat candy of the world and has more than its fair share of dedicated fans. It's national, not only National Bacon Day, National Canadian Bacon Day. Interesting. I don't think I'm a fan of Canadian bacon. What is Canadian bacon? Is it fattier than normal? This is terrible. I should know this. <laughs> um, okay. I'm going to look this up right Brittany's now. Brittany's look... Well, okay, what do you got? It right, is. Well, it comes from the pork loin portion of a pig. So it's a different part of the pig. Yeah. All right. I don't know. It doesn't look that Do we know why the pork loin portion is better than the normal portion? I don't know. I haven't read the whole thing yet. I, I, I know. We're doing this on the fly. Okay. Jerry, go ahead. Good afternoon. 
Uh, actually, I think, don't correct me, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I think Canadian bacon is also known as female bacon. Okay, I was wondering oh. if they were one oh, okay. and the same. Okay. I think, I think it's, I could be wrong, but to, to back it up when you were talking about the cats, uh-huh. my mother's actually had two cats uh-huh. in her life with thumbs, opposable thumbs. I think it's called polydactyl. Okay. I think I think that's the name referred to it. I've never heard of a dog, but she's actually had two male cats that actually had an extra appendage. Uh, hmm. I mean, my cats kind of have, you know, I mean, <laughs> is this you know, an extra right nail that's kind of a little bit separate from the other ones, but the, but the, they were actually able to use it to pick things up? <laughs> I don't think they were trained that well. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think, no, they, they used to flush their own toilet. and they oh, yeah, Really? They no, I'm kidding. Oh, my gosh. Um, okay. Well, Brittany, Brittany, though, you I'm know. I'm sure there's a couple I'm, I'm a very gullible person to, here, no, but, Jerry. But, this but, isn't. But, Brittany, you but know that's did. a thing, right? Yes, I know. You can train your cat to use the toilet. Oh, the, in the movies, people say no, that that's no, a thing. No, you actually no, can no, train I, your No, I'm sorry. Yes, you can. You can. Yes, there you are can. people who have done this. Yeah, they put the litter box there and then they remove it and yes, it's, it's they just get that's where they're used to going. Yeah. No. Uh, I don't I mean, I my dog when he's long gone now unfortunately, but when he was a puppy, we got him in December mm-hmm. and he was only used to peeing in snow. And I remember we were out for a drive and it was March and there was almost all the snow was almost gone and he had to go. We're pulled over. I actually had to find a little bit of snow in a ditch line. On the side of a highway before he'd go pee. Well, what do you do in the? Every, what do you well, do in July? Well, eventually he figured it out that hey, I gotta go, and this is the best I'm gonna do. <laughs> wow! But the first couple months of his life, he only had ever peed in snow, and we couldn't figure out why is he not going. And it's like, oh my gosh, he's had no snow. So as wow. soon as we found a little patch of snow, he went pee. But obviously, he had to learn to grow out of it because. But people on boats, that's, they have a little green patch or people on the balcony yep. in apartments. Unfortunately, that's, they train the dog. This is your little pee pad, and mm-hmm. this is where you go. Yeah, fake so. grass or something, yeah. Yeah. All right, great. Thanks, right. Jerry. You're welcome. Yeah, Brittany, that's a thing. There's a little device that you can buy. You kind of put it on your toilet. Or and you can just the... let your animal, like the cat can go in the litter box. Yeah, but... It flushes it itself. Then you won't have to clean the litter box every couple of days like you're normally supposed to. Yeah, but what do you do if somebody, like, shuts the bathroom door and then the cat can't get in there? Or you're using the washroom and the cat can't get in there? First world problems. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. That's not just in the movies. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not training my cats to do that. Okay, so another thing that we've been doing when we host, is what you came up with, Mm -hmm. the not-so-impossible question. The not-so-impossible question. So if you want to call on this, even before you know the question, 519-570-2545. Out of town, 1-800-570-5715. And star 570, hands-free. It's a little bit different today, but still in the same vein. Brittany, Mm -hmm. what you got? According to a new survey... This is the most recognizable TV theme song. The most recognizable TV theme song. Mm-hmm. Is it Seinfeld? No. No? No. Here's a little trivia piece about the Seinfeld theme song. Because Jerry's stand-up routine was at the beginning of every episode, and they had that music, and of course, sentences, all course, they're all different lengths. 
every Seinfeld episode technically had a different theme song because they had to edit in the little bow, you know, after oh, a, okay. a sentence or whatever. So technically every Seinfeld had a different theme song. So it's not Seinfeld. It's not Seinfeld. Not Seinfeld. So the most, rec- according to a survey you said? Yes. The, this is the most recognizable TV theme song. Of all time. Of all time. Of all, all TV. Time. Okay, we're talking game shows, reality, okay. sitcoms. This, Interesting. This is the most recognizable song. All right, let's go to the phones. Kyle, do you know what it is? The Young and the Restless? No. Oh. Good guess, bow, though. Very bow, good guess. Bow, bow, bow. All right, thanks, guys. All right. So, <laughs> that, was, that was a terrible rendition of the Young and the Restless theme, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm sorry, Paul. I didn't pick it up there. (laughs) All right. Yeah, so according to a survey, the most recognizable TV theme of all Mm -hmm. time. Kevin, do you know it? Cheers. Good guess, but no. Cheers, not cheers. After a couple guesses, I'm going to give a little bit of a hint. Yeah. Brittany and I were talking about this before the show, and I had recommended cheers. And no, it's not cheers. Mm -hmm. I really thought it would be. Jim, go ahead. Uh, one winter, it got a kidney infection, mm-hmm. and, it, and it didn't want to go outside of the bathroom, so it started using the toilet all by itself. Oh, wow, that's, that's cool. That's impressive. And once it, once it was uh, cleared up, it continued to use it afterwards. They never had to come to the road again for it. Cool. You don't even have to train the, the cat to use the, the toilet. That's pretty mm-hmm. cool. Uh, okay, the most recognizable TV theme song mm-hmm. of all time. Let, let's do one more call, then we'll go to a break, and we'll come back, and let's, let's get to the bottom of this thing. Jerry, do you know the answer? Well, I got two at the tip of my tongue, mm-hmm. but uh, I'll go with Jeopardy. Yes, you're it's right. Jeopardy? It's Jeopardy. The most recognized. Go Jeopardy or Gilligan's Island. <laughs> wow. All right. Way to go, Jeopardy. Now, there's no prize. All you get yeah, is just bragging rights. Bragging rights to your friends for the rest of the day. Yeah, more mm-hmm. and more stupid trivia. <laughs> All right. Cool. Thanks, Jerry. All right. So do we have another one? Yeah, I have to? I have another question. Let's go to another one. Let's, let's put out the question, then we'll go to a break and mm-hmm. we'll get some answers. What do you got? All right. What is the third best-selling chocolate bar in the world. The third best. The third. So I'm going to give you a hint. The first two, the first is Snickers and the second is Reese. After that, what is the third best? Well, hold on. We can have a whole debate. Reese is not a chocolate bar. It's three Polly, little Polly, I circles. didn't make up the survey, okay? This, and I don't buy the chocolate bars. This is what it is. Okay. The third. The third best. Third best selling chocolate the, bar of all time. Mm-hmm. So it's not Reese's. Mm-hmm. And it's not Snickers. It's not Reese's and it's not Snickers. 519-570-2545. Out of town, 1-800-570-5715 and star 570. You know what? Hold on. Just, okay. Before we go to a break, there's a name on my screen. And I, this has got to be, is this, is this my Marnie? It's your Marnie. Okay. What, what can I do you for? She loves when I say that. <laughs> it sounds like I'm going to order a pizza. Um, I have a guess. Okay. On, oh. on the, the theme song. Oh, no, Marnie, we already got the answer. What do you think it is, though? Jeopardy. It was Jeopardy. You mm-hmm. got it right. Thanks, Marnie. 
All right, we got to go to the break now. The new, the new one again. New question. Third best-selling chocolate bar of all time. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go to a break. This is City News five seventy Kitchener today. Producer Polly and Brittany in with you today on Kitchener. Today we're doing our not so impossible question, Brittany. What is the third best-selling chocolate bar in the world? And we've already established. It's not Reese's or... Snickers. Snickers. I'm not a big fan of Snickers anyway. I can't believe it. It's number two. <laughs> All right. Doug, do you know the answer? Uh, you talking to Doug? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a Mars bar. Mars. No, good guess, that's, but no. That's my favorite of all time. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, is it, isn't Mars exclusive to Canada, if I'm not mistaken? I'm not sure. Because they have... You're the fan, Polly. You should know this answer. Because in the United States, they have the uh, the Three Musketeers, which is right. like a Mars bar without the caramel. Okay. It's it's missing something. Weird. Costas. Is that, is that, is that right? Yes. All right. The third best-selling chocolate bar of all time. Do you know it? Nestle Crunch? No. That is a good one. I like that one. No, not that. I, that might also... No, that's not exclusive to Canada. I got a little fascination with chocolate bars. <laughs> and whenever I go down to the United States, I always make a, a, a sense of getting one that I can't get in Canada. Just, just, just to because. see. Just because. Just got to check it out. And even chocolate bars that you can get in Canada mm-hmm. and the United States, the my understanding is the taste is a little bit yeah, different. Yeah, sometimes Can- they're different. Canadians have a sweeter tooth than Americans, so the recipe is slightly different. Mark, do you know the answer? Yes, I do. It's actually Brittany's favorite. Okay. Coffee, coffee crisp. Oh, no. <laughs> Mark. That's the worst one out there, and it's definitely not the third best-selling one. <laughs> Mark is a <laughs> Mark is a longtime listener of this station, and that he proved it because he knew that would get under Britney's skin. The third best-selling chocolate bar of all time. Ian, do you know it? A uh, couple things. A yes, I believe it's probably the Arrow Bar. Arrow. No, good guess, but no. Okay. Really. And as to the Mars, I believe it is actually exclusive to Canada. That's what I, I thought. Live in California for six years. And they did not have it. And then a follow-up question for your next uh, question should be, what is the most popular chip flavor in Canada? I would guess ketchup because that's exclusive to Canada. Is it? Incorrect. Incorrect. What is it? All dressed. All dressed? Really? Oh, all dressed and it was marketed really good. in the United States as the number one flavor in Canada. Ah. They sold it there when they brought it as an exclusive. I didn't know that. So they market it in the United States as Canada's number one chips. Come and buy it in America. Okay. <laughs> let's do uh let's do at least one more here. The third best selling chocolate bar of all time. David, you're on the air. Go ahead. All right, I'll uh I'll I'll say it's Kit Kat. No. Ooh, Good one, though. That, hmm. I'm surprised, actually, no, that not this Kit-Kat. beat out Kit-Kat. Br- Brittany, do you have a whole list there, or you just have the top three, or what? Well, yeah, I just have the top, the top All three. All right. I'll be curious. I'm sure Kit-Kat has to be on the top ten. Let's do one more, and then we'll reveal the answer. Jerry, go ahead. I'm kind of like Kyle. Today. I'm bored. Um, <laughs> I'm going to guess the Toblerone. You're right. What? No, no, no. wait. No. Jerry, did you look this up? You got Are our you first answer, me? too. No, well, see, the thing is, 
like you guys have been talking, I've been thinking all these chocolate bars can't be exclusive to Canada. What is exclusive to Canada? What's a worldwide? And you just start, I'm thinking Toblerone is, is sold almost worldwide. So you just kind of got to figure the math. But I do believe they did sell the Three Musketeers here in Canada for a while. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's still being sold. Yeah. But I am familiar. I think it is sold in Canada still. But hmm. uh, I just just went. You're, but you're right. There's exclusive stuff to um, to Canada. What right. is? What isn't? Yeah. So, and and that's what we're used to. So I was thinking maybe the Baby Ruth, the Babe Ruth, or something like that. But then I thought the Toblerone. It's the a, Tol- he got it. I the never would have. I never would have guessed that. Oh, that's one of my favorites. I, the Toblerone. I miss when Swiss I only ever buy it at, around Christmas, though. Yeah, I well, I, I miss when Swiss Chalet used to give away the Toblerone as part of their oh, festive special. Yeah. Yeah, now they do that's the Lindor right. chocolates, which are great, but I miss the Toblerone. Mm-hmm. But that's nostalgia for you. <laughs> All right, time for the news. We'll be back right after this on City News five seventy. Kitchener today on City News 570. Producer Polly in with you till 3 o'clock this afternoon. Well, numerous Canadian banks said Wednesday that they are increasing their prime interest rate by 25 basis points following the Bank of Canada's rate announcement earlier in the day. The central bank said it was increasing its key rate by a quarter of a percentage point to 0.5% in a bid to help fight inflation, which is at its highest level since 1991. Now, it's the, I, I, there are many people out there, myself included, who are on variable mortgages. So this means that uh, our, our mortgage rate is going to go up. And so we, we're, we're here speaking with Tracy Velko, of course, of the Velko team, to go over what some of this, this means, what these rate increases might mean for people with variable rate mortgages. Tracy, thanks for joining us this afternoon. Oh, thank you so much, and thank you for having me. So I guess we can't be surprised at this interest rate increase. They couldn't stay low forever, and the Bank of Canada has been hinting at this for a while. Oh, they have. I mean, this is a very much expected increase. Um, You know, many of the banks and economists out there were indicating you know, a potentially half a point increase, not just a quarter point. Uh, you know, from that perspective, the quarter point was, you know, the Bank of Canada easing into, you know, what the future of potential increases are going to be on Bank of Canada rates. I think there's a lot of factors in the economy or is the reason why they're very slow and steady at, at making these increases and to see if the market can sustain it. I mean, We've got a lot of underlying factors when we've got such a lack of inventory in the in the housing supply, not just in our community, but across Canada. And so we're seeing values of homes increasing double digits consistently over the last, you know, it has to be at least the last, you know, 18 months consistently, even during a pandemic, which is, you know, who would have thought? Um, this would have been at this point. So affordability for Canadians is definitely challenging. Uh, you know, first-time home buyers, what they're looking at to purchase a home is 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 a different spectrum of of you know that type of home. Now we're looking at condos, we're looking at you know potential co-signers, parents, you know, qualifying for these mortgages. So interest rates and, and bank prime, yes, you know, have gone up, um, but 
you know, it's slow and steady. And that's where it's really having that conversation with clients and letting people know um, that not to panic on this. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, the difference to your point, you're in a variable rate mortgage, Um, you know, to put it in perspective for every hundred thousand of your mortgage balance uh, with this increase of this quarter percent in Bank of Canada, your payment will change by $12. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you know, it's it's there. I mean, it is. Um, but it's not significant enough where, you know, it could really impact a lot of people's budgets at this time, right? Now, now do banks have to increase their rates? They, they always seem to follow the Bank of Canada's, you know, announcements. Do they, do they have to change their rate, and why do they always follow? How does that work? Well, it, I mean, it's an interesting question. And, you know, what, I've been in this industry for over 20 years, and it, it's been where they do follow the Bank of Canada um, announcements because they have to follow it from from the, a, a profitability and cost perspective for them as well when offering a variable rate mortgage. Um, but we have found, you know, it, it was about four years ago when um, one of the, the banks out in the marketplace didn't change it at the same time. They actually um, increased it even higher than where the Bank of Canada rate is. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and then we saw after that, type of policy change we saw some of the banks where they they wait they wait they eventually will increase it but they may wait um a couple weeks they may wait a month and see who follows first and then and then the other banks will follow and that typically we see that if we see an increase in bank prime on a steadily basis there's eight times that the bank of canada meets they do sometimes have interim meetings which we saw especially like when the pandemic hit um we had three uh, decreases uh, in between a lot of the actual meetings. So when the banks see uh, a increase in bank prime consistently, they may potentially hold off on increasing bank prime for a certain period of time, but they all follow suit and they have to. I mean, it's just from a cost of of, of, of profit um, and, and from their perspective of their balance sheet, they have to increase it. So, I mean, we saw that yesterday, all the banks, um, we're sending out notifications and they're increasing bank prime. But one thing to note for anybody in variable rate, it does take effect for the following month. Um, right. Yeah. I was going to ask about that because right? our, our next yeah. mortgage payment comes out tomorrow. I'm like, so, but we, we still have a few weeks before this takes effect. Yeah, it does. That's right. So you have some grace time. Um, they will send you notification. Typically the banks and financial institutions will send you notice by email, by mail, um, if you have an online portal, you can go in. It may not show right now, so don't panic. But um, usually it takes, um, you know, uh, probably about two weeks to be able to put that notification in, and you'll see it be effective for your next payment. Um, but there's lots of ways to mitigate um, with that payment uh, fluctuation. Um, you know, with, with most people that are getting variable rate mortgages, there's a lot of conversation out there by mortgage professionals um, that talk about increasing your payment from the beginning as if you were paying on a fixed rate. So mm-hmm. just in case we see these increases or decreases, your payment's slightly higher so you don't actually see that increase in your payment because you're already having, you know, making a higher payment than what's expected on that variable rate. So there's lots of great strategies out there in a variable. It is a really great, great product. And, uh, you know, we've had so much success in this product in Canada on the variable rate. Millions of homeowners have paid thousands of dollars of interest off out their mortgage and more principal because it traditionally is about 75 to 80 basis points lower than a fixed rate at any given time. So you were saying earlier, you know, because some people might be kind of, you know, a little bit worried because they're on a a variable rate mortgage, but 
the the when when the rate goes up, it's not as much of an extra monthly payment as maybe people think. People think, oh no, five thousand dollars a month. That's not. It's what was that a hundred for every hundred thousand yeah. dollars? It's how it, much? So for every hundred thousand dollars of mortgage funds that you borrow, it's twelve dollars. Mm-hmm. So to put it in, it's twelve dollars of, of a monthly mortgage payment increase. So to put it in perspective, let's say an average mortgage amount is five hundred thousand, and your discount on your variable rate was prime minus ninety. Mm-hmm. So you know your your rate has gone up, right? So your rate's gone up by that quarter percent basis point um, with that bank prime increase. You're looking at about a sixty dollar a month difference in your payment. Mm-hmm. So that's on a $500,000 mortgage. Right. So I broke it down for every 100000 so I can give people a real, you know, um, granular perspective of that increase for every quarter percent that Bank Prime does increase. And, you know, here's the reality. You know, we don't know what's going to happen even tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the, the conversation of Bank Prime continually going up, you know, I, I'm in this daily and I am very much involved in, in the information that, is out there in the marketplace about where bank prime and interest rates are going. I mean, for the last seven years, they have said bank prime's going up a full percent each year. And we haven't seen it. Now, eventually what goes down goes up, but eventually what goes up comes down. I mean, that's just economics 101. It just depends on what's going on in the economy. We have a lot of, of issues right now that are really, really, you know, on the, on the forefront of being slow and steady, on this, these increases, or if at all going forward, like there is an expectation it's going to go up another quarter. The next time the Bank of Canada meets is in April. But I mean, we have this now, you know, um, unexpected, unfortunately, um, you know, um, war that's going between the Ukraine and Russia, and that's impeding supply and demand, and it's going to increase our inflation even further with consumer uh, goods such as oil and gas and that's going to put pressure on inflation. So our inflation right now is kind of artificially inflated because of certain circumstances and just coming out of COVID. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the inflation typically is a driver of bank prime going up, but we're not really in a normal economy to understand this inflation and when it's going to level off. So I think we all have to kind of take a deep breath and really take a look at this month to month. And, you know, the one thing I can recommend is continuously have conversation with your mortgage professional uh, you know, making sure you understand the market and what things are so that you can make an educated decision if you go to lock into a fix. Uh, and if not, you know, that you are constantly keeping up to date with any information that's being posted from your mortgage professional and also obviously online as well. So I, you said the next time the uh, the Bank of Canada meets in April, any predictions on what you think might happen? Are they going to keep it steady or maybe it's too early to even speculate at this point? Yeah, I mean, the speculation out there is they're going to increase it another quarter. Um, the, the conversation I'm going to say today out there from The Economist and a lot of the financial institutions is by the end of 2022, they're going to increase it in total another full percent, mm-hmm. which will bring it very close to where it was prior to the pandemic. Because prior to the pandemic, Bank Prime was at 3.95%. Right now, we're currently at 27 so if we go a full 1%, as predicted, and it actually does happen, we'll be at 3.70. But people, you know, majority of Canadians out there in a variable have a discount. And a lot of the discounts have been extremely aggressive on these variables, like 1%, 1.3%. So, you know, you know, given if it does go up to 3.7, you're still well under 2% on your variable rate mortgage. It's still phenomenally really well. So... 
this is where, you know, we have to really educate the consumers and let them know, you know, what the, what the potential could be and where you are still going to be in the driver's seat. But to ask, you know, to answer your question for next month, I mean, it's really, you know, a crystal ball at this point. They're saying it's going to go up a quarter. I think personally it's going to really going to have to, you know, see what happens over this next month about what's happening, you know, globally, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you know, unfortunately with, with the Ukraine and Russia and, and how other countries are going to impact that because it really will put some instability in our bond market. Um, it's going to put definitely some pressure on inflation overall. Um, you know, can we sustain another quarter percent when we're already – projecting that gas prices are going to go up to potentially two dollars by you know the summertime by june so it's it's really going to be dependent i would say probably they will increase it another quarter and then i think they'll stay put mm-hmm. um and and see how how things weather and you got to remember we're still going into spring market right now mm-hmm. so what does that look like when here in in this in our region values of homes for a single detacher over a million dollars and i was going to add like do you, do you think that this interest rate increase will do anything to stop the, um, you know, the, the 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 rising housing market. No, see, it, the factor with the housing market on the supply and 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 values is there is a lack of supply out there. Mm-hmm. We have a, the, the lowest supply in in history, not only just in our region but across the country. So, you know, the issue is is that so many people want to own a home. I mean, everybody does. It's a Canadian dream. But even more so now with this pandemic, people want their safe home. They want to have that ticket fence. They want to have a bigger space if they can do it. And so there will still be that demand on the market. You know, the the quarter percent and let's say potentially, you know, in total a half a point by next month increase isn't going to be enough to be able to stop people wanting to look for homes. The problem is there's no supply. So the, the the lack of supply and the amount of people putting offers on properties is going to continually increase values by double digits. And we've seen this consistently. Mm-hmm. We saw it last month and we're seeing it this month. We're going to see it the following month. We're just not going to see as many purchases until we get to a point where these, you know, we've got existing homeowners wanting to sell their house. And I think when you have, you know, certain underlying conditions, like you've got the Omicron, when we had that variant come out um, at Christmas, it, it holds people back from trying to sell and buy because they're staying put. You know, the, what's happening right now, unfortunately, overseas, people are, are really watching the news and not really thinking about, okay, I need to maybe, I want to move, maybe I want to make that move and let's start preparing, you know, for spring market sales. So I don't think we're going to see an aggressive spring market yet. I think it's going to be slower this year. So hopefully there'll be, you know, I mean, the Real Estate Association said, like, we need more houses on the market. It's going to help level off, you know, this influx of more buyers than there is sellers. But we also need the builders to build more homes and their supplies are backed up Mm -hmm. because goods and services are not being distributed, you know, for what they need to build homes. And so we've got, you know, it's kind of like a domino effect on this, right? Um, We just need more homes. If we can build more homes, for more people coming into our community and, you know, expanding, it's really going to help level off that, those homes. And I just don't, I think values are going to continue this year. I think we're going to see probably a million and a half as a value of a single detached home in our region, which I, I can't believe I'm saying this mm-hmm. to you, but I, that's where we're going to be, right? Now, for some people on variable rate mortgages, it might not be, uh, you might not need to worry too much. My understanding is that some, depending, of course, on, you know, how your mortgage or variable rate mortgage is, is set up, you might be able to, you know, if you're worried about, you know, high, crazy high interest rates, 
that you actually might be able to to jump to a fixed mortgage at a certain point. Is that right? Yeah. So the great thing that's with a variable is, and I always tell uh, you know our clients is you really are in the driver's seat with your mortgage because the benefit of a variable is at any point. You know, you have your conversation with your mortgage professional and you feel at that point you want to lock into a fixed rate, you can. I mean, the variable rate mortgages, there are the, has the flexibility to convert it during term to a fixed rate mortgage with your current lender without any fees or penalties. So you can take advantage when rates are low and take advantage of that low interest rate. You can also take advantage, you know, at this point here, like, you know, a lot of people are having conversation with us. Do I want to wait, wait this out? Do I, you know, should I just lock in now? And, you know, then I've got peace of mind and not worry about where the market is. We take a look at where their financing is at. So, you know, it, it gives people the flexibility, that door to always be able to lock in. And then you're set into a new term. So if you take, a, you know, a five-year fixed rate, mm-hmm. you are now got a new five-year fixed rate and your variable rate is completed and now you start a new term with the same lender, and, and off you go, right? So it's it's a great, I always say it's a great tool and a great strategy for people. Um, the other benefit with a variable as well, too, is that let's say you end up selling your home and you move to the States, or you you know you decide you don't want to be into home ownership anymore and you want to go rent. Your penalty traditionally on a variable is a much lower penalty than a fixed rate. Mm-hmm. So from a cost perspective, um, it's definitely a great product for people. It gives them a lot of flexibility for their life, right, and lifestyle. Tracy, thank you very much for your time this afternoon. Oh, you're welcome. Have a wonderful day. You too. Tracy Velko from the Velko team. And, yeah, so when I saw this interest rate announcement yesterday, I was a little bit worried. But then I remembered back because – so my wife and I have lived in our, our current place for five and a half years, almost coming up on five and a half years. So we originally locked in under a fixed rate. And I can't remember the exact rate that we were paying, maybe three, three and a half percent. I can't remember. So it was time to renew our mortgage. And we went to a mortgage broker. And we, we, we were, I think like a lot of people, we were worried about, you know, the variable rate. Because obviously the word variable means, you know, your payment could change a little bit. And there were two things that kind of sold us on the variable rate. One was this notion that when you do see an interest rate increase, as Tracy was saying there, you know, your payment doesn't skyrocket by, you know, you know, $700 a month or something like that. Because, of course, a mortgage, of course, is a, a huge investment. You're taking out hundreds of thousands of dollars. And so that, that's more money than a lot of people can even comprehend. In some cases. So when you see a rate increase like this by 25 basis points, as Tracy said, your average monthly increase, you might be looking at maybe $30, $40, $50 a month, which, you know, over the course of a a whole mortgage and how much you might already be paying for your mortgage, that's manageable, manageable for a lot of people. It's not as big of a monthly payment as as maybe you, you think it would be as an increase. The second thing that sold us on a variable rate, is this idea that if interest rate, because back in the, because back in like, I think in the 70s, the 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 interest rates on, on loans were, you know, 15, even 20%, I think, in some cases. So we were told that as long as you stay with the same lender, you can make a one-time jump to a fixed rate. 
And so if that variable rate creeps up to where the fixed rate is, you can make that jump and then lock yourself into that fixed rate. So hopefully that helped you out. If, if, if you're like me and you're on a variable and you're a little bit worried about that news that we heard yesterday, Tracy's saying it's not too much to worry about. But unfortunately, it sounds like, uh, at least in Tracy's opinion, these uh, the interest rate increase, at least the one that we saw yesterday, isn't going to do much to solve the current housing crisis because uh, a lot of that has to do with supply and demand. You know, so, and of course, supply chain issues, which we've seen in all areas of the economy over the last you know, over the last couple of years. We're going to take a break. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. With most people that are getting variable rate mortgages, there's a lot of conversation out there by mortgage professionals that talk about increasing your payment from the beginning as if you were paying on a fixed rate. So Mm -hmm. just in case we see these increases or decreases, your payment's slightly higher so you don't actually see that increase in your payment because you're already having, you know, making a higher payment than what's expected on that variable rate. Tracy Valco from the Valco team joining us just a few moments ago to talk about this this interest rate increase that was announced yesterday by the Bank of Canada uh, increasing their interest rate by uh, 25 basis points. And of course, uh, all of the major banks followed suit on their on their lending rate. And so hopefully people like you and I, or maybe not, maybe not you, but I'm sure there's a lot of people out there because... The rates have been low for a really long time, and this was the first time that my wife and I had been on a a variable rate mortgage, and I do feel a little better now after speaking with Tracy. Uh, Coming up on the show again, 2.30, we'll be speaking with Lee Cooney. Now, she has founded a new, well, fairly new, I think they've been around for a couple of years, a, a movie theater in Stratford, so of course not too far away. And it's a little unique theater, and actually, and it is little. <laughs> Let me say that it is a little theater, a little movie theater. It's called the Little Prince Cinema, and it sounds like a really cool idea. I would be interested in checking this out at some point. At two o'clock, we'll be carrying the question and answer session from the announcement that uh, Premier Ford and I believe Sylvia Jones is going to be there. We're not going to carry the announcement. We're going to carry the Q&A because the Q&A is often the most interesting part. At 1.30, we're going to have a little bit of fun. It's been a heavy, heavy news week, especially with this, uh, you know, Russia-Ukrainian situation. So we're going to have a little bit of fun at 1.30. We're going to be asking you, which movie have you seen more than five times? And it is still good every single time. So that's coming up at 1.30. Lots of stuff coming up here on Kitchener Today with producer Polly. We got to go to the news. We'll be back right after this. Producer Polly in with you on Kitchener Today here on City News 570 until 3 o'clock this afternoon, you know, a couple of weekends uh, weekends ago, I was visiting one of my my favorite submarine shops, and a former coworker 
of mine works there. Although I thought she worked there because I I was under under the understanding that she was no longer there. But I went into the submarine shop and ordered a sandwich. I'm like, that really looks like her. But of course, she's wearing a mask, and I thought she had left. And so I didn't say anything to her. And then I sent a message to her a couple of days later saying, I was in there. I really think that she says, yes, I'm back. And she says, I feel sorry I didn't recognize you either. And, uh, of course, we were both wearing masks. And sometimes it's difficult to, you know, recognize faces. Well, there's a piece in the conversation called Children Struggle More Than Adults to Recognize Masked Faces. And Shana Rosenbaum is one of the authors of that piece. Shana is a professor and York Research Chair of Psychology at York University and joins us this afternoon. Shana, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Now, in your piece, you say that uh, we usually rely on what is called holistic processing to identify human faces. What does that mean? So it means that unlike other types of objects, when we attempt to recognize a face, it's not just by individual features. Humans tend to recognize faces by processing the spatial relations amongst the features. Mm -hmm. So in that way, it's really the combination of the eyes, nose, and mouth and how they're spatially organized that allows us to recognize faces so easily, even from as early as uh, infancy. Now, now your research suggests that the fact that we can't see the whole face uh, is changing the very nature of, uh, of how faces are recognized. That's right. So what we actually found, and I think some of it, this, of course, is intuitive, is that when people are wearing uh, face masks, of course, it's covering key regions of the face. But it's not just that we don't have access to seeing the nose and the mouth of the face. It's also seeing the relationship of the eyes with the nose and the mouth. Mm -hmm. And we know this because if we actually turn a face upside down, then we tend to look at the individual features. And we're much worse at recognizing faces, of course, if they're upside down. The reason is because it breaks up those spatial relations. But what we found is that when people are trying to recognize faces with masks, they're just as poor as when they're trying to recognize these upside down faces. Now, the inability to see uh, the entirety of someone's face, of course, with us wearing masks over the last couple of years, uh, this is especially particularly difficult for young children. Is that correct? Well, that seems to be the case. So the first work that we did, uh, the first uh, study that we actually conducted was with adults, young adults, Mm -hmm. and we found that young adults were actually quite poor at recognizing faces and were nearly at the level of individuals who have Uh, face recognition deficits. Um, But then we decided to look at children because, of course, children are, uh, I don't want to use the word faced, but of course they're faced Mm -hmm. with uh, interacting with teachers and their classmates with masks on almost all day. And some of the teachers they hadn't even seen before, so without a mask, I should say. And so it was really, uh, we wondered if children's brains, which we know are often more adaptable and plastic, if it's the case that maybe children will perform better than adults, but it turns out that they performed at least 5% worse than adults did in yeah. recognizing faces. Yeah, yeah. so your study's conclusions showed that children who completed the mass study showed a much lower ability to recognize faces, but adults weren't much better. Correct. So adults are not much better. 
And unfortunately for us, it seems as though even when adults have had a year of experience with recognizing masked faces, they don't really improve. So we actually have a follow-up study showing this, um, which is currently under review. Now, children rely more on those facial features than adults do. Is that right? It's not clear. It seems as though children still tend to rely on the spatial relations amongst the features, just like adults do. Um, They might be able to adapt by relying on other types of cues, like external features, so the hair, um, which actually we do not present. We did not present uh, in our studies. Mm -hmm. Um, Hats, uh, body posture, biological motion. And so it could be that children will in fact improve over time. And we just don't know this yet, but uh, that would be one of our predictions. Now, how would this affect children's ability to form social relationships? It's a very good question. And, you know, we we really don't know. Um, We're hoping that other groups and and hopefully we will conduct some research in this area. Um, But we, of course, know that it's critical Uh, to be able to recognize faces and see facial features in order to gain information about someone else's emotional reaction and even to read lips while we're listening to their voice, so uh, just to communicate with other people. Um, So it's really difficult to predict exactly how things will play out in terms of the formation and maintenance of social relations amongst young children who are exposed to masked faces. Um, We assume that there must be some negative effects, but hopefully children um, will be able to overcome the masks and be able to find other ways of engaging with others socially. Now, it's very important for uh, newborns, particularly, to be able to see faces. It's an important part of their development. Are you worried that the inability that we've seen over the last couple of years with newborns not seeing faces, could this have long-term impacts for those individuals, do you think? Possible. I mean, we do know that newborns, of course, are exposed to um, family members' faces, their their mothers, their fathers, um, children around them in their households without masks. Um, You know, they might not be exposed to the range of faces that most newborns would have been exposed to pre-COVID. So it could be that the extent of recognizing faces might change um, and just being able to discriminate different types of faces. Uh, But again, you know, it's really hard to know um, without follow-up studies whether there will be long-term effects. We really hope not. Um, But fortunately uh, for for newborns and other children, um, there is some exposure to unmasked faces. Shana, thank you very much for your time this afternoon. Thank you so much. Shana Rosenbaum is a professor and York Research Chair of Psychology at York University. She's one of the co-authors of a story, or an article rather, that recently appeared in the conversation called Children Struggle More Than Adults to Recognize Masked Faces. And that's something I've, I've thought of, you know, throughout the course of this pandemic because, you know, you know, newborns, very important that they be able to recognize faces. Now, surely not everybody is wearing a mask all the time. You're you're at home with your newborn. That helps. But I, I, I do wonder about that last question that I asked Shana. I wonder if there's going to be long-term implications 
because faces have been covered for the last couple of years. And, of course, it will be years before we know that information. If you have a comment on this, we'd be glad to take it between now and 1.30. uh, 570-2545, out of town, 1-800-570-5715, and star 570. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. They're faced with mm-hmm. interacting with teachers and their classmates with masks on almost all day. And some of the teachers they hadn't even seen before, so without a mask, I should say. And so it was really, uh, we wondered if children's brains, which we know are often more adaptable and plastic, if it's the case that maybe children will perform better than adults. But it turns out that they performed at least 5% worse than adults did. Shana Rosenbaum. Joining us a few moments ago, she is Professor and York Research Chair of Psychology at York University, discussing a piece that she co-wrote in The Conversation recently called Children Struggle More Than Adults to Recognize Masked Faces. Now, of course, it's, it's been a challenge for, for, for many people over the last uh, couple of years, but uh, that's what happens when you live in a pandemic, I suppose. 570 25 45 out of town 1-800-570-5715 and star 570 if you have a comment just like jerry uh, does jerry go ahead hey Polly, i'm on a roll today i guess that's what happens when i'm on the road for a while (laughs) yeah thanks for Um, listening hey not a problem i you know what i i've got two distinct experiences not with masks but i still remember i'm 52 years old Mm -hmm. and i remember as a young child, my father coming home and shaving his mustache off for the first time. And my brother and I lost our marbles because we didn't know who that strange man walked in the wow, door. Oh, yeah. How and old were you? I would have been six, maybe seven years of age. And you didn't recognize I, him, huh? No. And more recently, because my children, my youngest is 25 now, and I've always had at least a goatee. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I have the beard for a while, then I shave it back to the goatee. But my children had never seen me without facial hair. And I shaved it off about two years ago, took a picture, and I sent it to them. And neither of my three children <laughs> believed that it was me. They said, I thought you, Dad. Who is that? Wow. And then my daughter finally recognized the pictures and a lamp in the background and went, Oh, my gosh, that is you. Because they had never seen me without facial hair. And right. they did not believe that it was my adult children didn't believe it was me because I looked that much different without facial hair. Wow. So I can only imagine young children seeing, you know, masks on faces and all of a sudden them being unmasked. They may not recognize who these people are. Yeah, good point, Jerry. Yeah, I, I've seen a, every now and again a video where something will pop up online or maybe even like on America's Funniest Home Videos or something where, you know, you know, father shaves off his beard and the the kids not only don't recognize him but they <laughs> they freak out they cry because they don't know who the strange guy is but uh yeah uh 519-570-2545 out of town 1-800-570-5715 and star 570 i i, I started this segment talking about uh, not sure if i recognized a someone I knew who was working at a, a, a submarine store 
in town a couple of weeks ago. And then because I thought she had left, right? Because she, she was there at the store for a few years. She had left. And then I didn't know that she had come back. So I came into the store and I'm like, that really looks like her, but I'm not sure. Because I, I, she told me she left. And it's funny because she served me. And, you know, I gave my name for the order and everything. And I'm chatting with her online a couple of days later. I said, are you back at the back at the sub store? Because I thought you had said, yeah, I'm back part time. And he said, I'm sorry, I didn't even recognize you. So <laughs> kind of an awkward situation, but uh, that's what happens sometimes. 519-570-2545, out of town, 1-800-570-5715, and star 570. Coming up at 1.30, start thinking about this. What is a movie that you've seen at least five times and is still good every single time? We'll be doing that after 1.30 today. So if you want to comment on the uh, the mask story we were talking about, you can. I have some other stuff here that I've been sitting on for quite a while, for, you know, over a week. Just little random stories. Maybe you want to comment on these as well. Now, of course, things are opening back up now. And, you know, maybe you're getting eager to travel. You're getting eager to book a hotel room. Well, this the title of this article is why you shouldn't book a hotel room higher than the fourth floor. Don't book a hotel room higher than the fourth floor. While nabbing a hotel room at a high floor with a beautiful view may sound like a great idea, one travel expert is advising against it for a very practical reason. Travel risk expert Lloyd Figgins shares that one of the most important things to think about when staying in a hotel is risk of fire. I've honestly never thought of that. And what floor you are on could be a matter of life and death. Quote, when you arrive in a hotel, you're in an unfamiliar environment, which you think is safe, he says. But the problem is that there, uh, if the fire alarm were to go off, what do you do next? Now, of course, they have the... You know, on the back of the door, they always had the fire escape map. But how many of us look at the fire escape map? I'll, I'll be honest. Sometimes I do look at it just, you never know, just in case something happens, here's the nearest exit. Well, Figgin says that guests should actually walk the fire route. So not just look at the map, actually walk the fire route that they, once they get to the hotel and is also count. Uh, the doors to the escape, he also advises against booking any room above the fourth floor, but not below the second. So that's very specific. Either the second, third, or fourth floor, he says. He says, quote, make sure you're staying between the second and the fourth stories of the hotel because the fire department ladder may rarely reach above the fourth floor, he says, anything below is uh, and anything below the second floor is a target for burglars and thieves. For safety, he also advises against ever staying your uh, ever saying your room number out loud once inside and try to make sure staff simply write down your room number so burglars who may be lurking in the lobby don't hear it and target you. I've never thought of that either. So, uh, yeah, according to this travel expert. 
never book a hotel room above the fourth floor or below the second. So basically the second, third, or fourth floor is the safest floor to be on. Here's an interesting story. Woman wakes up with 20 years of memories wiped after simply catching a cold. A mom revealed that she woke up one morning with 20 years of memories scrapped from her brain. Claire Muffet Reese says that she went to bed one night thinking that she just had a minor cold, but ended up falling into a coma for 16 days. Claire was diagnosed with a rare and uncommon disorder condition where the brain becomes inflamed two weeks after Claire arrived at the Royal London Hospital. She said her family realized her memories were gone. Claire tragically remarks, I can't remember how he proposed getting married, falling pregnant, and having the birth of my children, any holidays or friends or anything like that. She says it's all kind of gone. Doctors say if she were to regain her memories, it would have happened by now. I've been catching up with uh, some of the old Unsolved Mysteries episodes. That was one of my favorite TV shows when I was younger, uh, Unsolved Mysteries. And there's a, there's a streaming service called Tubi. It's actually free. Uh, you know, they, they support it by showing a couple of ads. I think some of the old Unsolved Mysteries episodes are also on YouTube. But the, I, there was an episode I was watching a couple of weeks ago where there was a lady who, and I can't remember, I think she just had mind, was it surgery or something? But yeah, she had, something had happened to her and she, 15 years of memories were completely wiped out. Like in her mind, she was only sick for a couple of days. But then, you know, because her children were, you know, what, five or six years old. And then the next thing you know, like literally the next day, they're like 15. So she doesn't even recognize her children. So the, 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 these, these freak kind of crazy things that happen from, from time to time. But yeah, Unsolved Mysteries, you can catch some of those old episodes. That was a great show. And that is a perfect example of how a, a good host can make or break a show. Robert Stack had that that deep voice that just that that just made the show just that much better. Uh, coming up at 2.30 this afternoon, we're going to be speaking with Lee Cooney. She has founded a very unique movie theater in Stratford that you can go to. Very unique. It, 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 it sounds like a cool idea, so we'll hear more about that. At 2 p.m., we're going to be carrying the question and answer period to Doug Ford's news conference, which the actual news conference is supposed to begin pretty soon. But again, we're just going to carry the questions and answers. And coming up at 1.30, right after the news, you can start calling now if you want. What is a movie you've seen at least five times and is still good every single time? 519-570-2545. Out of town, 1-800-570-5715 and Star 570. That's what we're talking about next. Name a movie you have watched more than five times and it's still good. News is coming up next with Brittany Ramsey. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570.
Producer Polly in with you until 3 o'clock today on Kitchener Today. Now, it's been a pretty crazy week of news the last week. We've all been dealing with a lot of, you know, really heavy stuff, especially, you know, the Russian-Ukrainian situation. So we're going to lighten it up a little bit here for the next half hour. We're going to have some fun. And we're asking you, what is a movie you've seen at least five times and is still good every single time? 1-800-570-5715-570-2545 and star 570 hands-free. I have a couple of them. I'm not going to say one of them because I'm I'm guessing we're going to get at least one person mentioning this on the phones, but but my other one, you know what? I'm going to save that for now. Let's let's go let's go right to the phones because the phone lines are already blowing up with our little fun question we're asking this half hour, half hour. Which movie have you watched more than five times, and it's still good? Five one nine five seventy twenty five forty five. Out of town one eight hundred five seventy fifty seven fifteen, and star five seventy. Don, which movie do you love? Hey, Paulie, how you doing today? Good. Good, good. I uh, first I want to say you're doing a good job, and I really hope you take this on full-time. Thanks. And uh, Lethal Weapon series, all of them. Mm-hmm. I enjoy watching all of them, including the TV show that they made three seasons of. Oh, I didn't know there was a television show. All right, yeah, cool. It's, uh, it's on Netflix. There, it's, it's, it's called Lethal Weapon, and it stars... Damon Waynes, and actually, you know what? I don't even know who plays Martin Riggs. Right. It's it's a really good it's a really good uh, TV show that they made. Too bad they only made three seasons. Right. Okay. Cool. Thanks, Don. Yeah, the Lethal Weapon series of movies. Now, I, if you're not aware, I'm, I've mentioned it on the air many times. I'm not a big movie guy. You know, there there are some. So I haven't seen the Lethal Weapon series. I there, the list of movies that I have not seen is embarrassing, and maybe one day, if I'm filling in here, maybe we'll ask you something along that line. What's a movie you've never seen but everybody else has? Because the list of movies I have is crazy. But right now we're asking you, which movie have you seen more than five times and it's still good? Beth, what do you say? Good afternoon, Polly. Thank you. How you doing? Not too bad. I actually have two of them like you, but mm-hmm. in order of preference, my first and utmost favorite has got to be The Breakfast Club. Yeah, that's a great one. I saw that one uh, many years after it came out, but that's a good one. Yeah. Well, it got to the point where it's such my favorite that when the 30th anniversary came around and Cineplex was throwing like the you know limited edition remastered 30th anniversary yeah. thing in theater... I took my kids to see it, and, of course, they already knew it off by heart. Right. But my second favorite is uh, The Outsiders. The Outs? I don't think I've even heard of that one. What's that one about? Well, it's, um, it is Tom Cruise's second movie, because his first one was Taps, but it stars uh, Cruise, Emilio Estevez, Patrick Sweezy. Mm-hmm. It's basically a coming-of-age story. And it's it's actually quite good, and it's interesting to watch where they pretty much first started, or it was like most of these stars, it was like the first or the second movie that they had done. So it's just like late uh, '80s, maybe mid to late '80s. I would say like 
Well, it would be after Red Dawn. I'm trying to think. Machio was in it and, and all that sort of stuff. It was before Cruz got his teeth fixed. So that should tell you how early it was. Okay. The, the Outsiders. <laughs> the Outsiders. There's actually a book on it. Obviously, the book was done first, and then, you know, the, the movie came after. But I watched the movie before uh, that we were told to read the book. And it's, it's a really sweet, endearing kind of story. All right, I might have to check that out. I love those those uh, coming-of-age stories that we saw a lot, particularly around that era, it seems. Mark, what do you have to say? Hey, Polly, how are you doing? Good. I just want to echo the previous caller. Uh, what a great job you're doing. Thank you. Um, yeah, um, assume that I think I still own on VHS, uh, Pursuit of Happiness. Okay. Well, I, I haven't heard that one. What's that one about? Well, Will Smith is the the uh, star, starring Mole, mm-hmm. and it's uh, a show that shows about perseverance and hard work and how it can pay off. Um, he was put down quite a bit. Um, this uh, gentleman was selling this obscure medical equipment, had a hard job selling it, and his wife kept putting them down. Um, they couldn't make ends meet. They mm-hmm. sank uh, tons in this thing. Um, and uh, eventually he got rid of all the equipment he invested in and started to uh, uh, be in the stock market and learn how to do that. And it's, it's based on a true story. So uh, it just really shows. Uh, and, and his son, uh, I think Jaden Smith, uh, also starred in that show with him. So. All right. Cool. Thanks a lot, Mark. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Right now we're discussing what is a movie you've watched more than five times and it's still good. 519-570-2545. Out of town, 1-800-570-5715 and star 570. Greg, do you have a movie that you love more than five times? Uh, Yeah. I'm actually not a movie watcher either like yourself. Mm -hmm. And I bet you we'd have a good sort of a race there as to who's... Missed the most uh, main movies, but yeah. uh, two things. First of all, I'll go with Airplane. Okay, I've never seen any of the Airplane movies, oh, so you're ahead first, of me on that one. Okay, well, the first <laughs> one's classic, and that's about the only sort of like standalone one that I can say that, yeah, multiple times because, well, parts of it we can just rhyme off between friends if we just need a reason to laugh, and yeah. that'll, that'll do it. But aside from that, growing up uh, as the youngest of five, my parents being into Abbott and Costello, Mm-hmm. Uh, probably, oh, probably about ten to fifteen of them. I would say that I've seen that um, you know five plus times. And right now, I could slap it on too. And uh, I'm old school in a lot of ways. And to me, that's still you know good entertainment. So if you've ever if you've never seen um, Abbott and Costello meet the Invisible Man, uh, start with that one. All right, cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm a little bit familiar with with Abbott and Costello. I haven't seen any of their of their movies, but uh, that sounds like cool. Uh, an interesting one. Kyle, go ahead. All right. Well, I still watch these on my old VHS player. What? Uh, <laughs> You're the second person who's called who still has a VCR. That's right. Uh, so the first movie is Armageddon, and the second one is Twister. Yeah, yeah, Twist. I, those, I have seen both of those. I think I've seen Armageddon. I know I've seen Twister. All right. So Twister was filmed about 15, 20 minutes away from the town that I lived in in Oklahoma. So that's what inspired me when I lived in the States to be a storm chaser at the time. Right. And, Arm- and Armageddon's just like my male version of Titanic. <laughs> All right, cool. All right, thanks, Paul. Uh, right, thanks a lot, Kyle. 
Uh, yeah, a movie you've seen more than five times, and it's still good every single time. I'm going to take one more call, and then I'm going to tell you one of mine. I'm surprised that my number one movie hasn't been mentioned yet. Maybe it'll be mentioned by Brian. Go ahead, Brian. Hey, Paul, you're doing a great job. Thanks. You need a movie weekend, though. Yeah. <laughs> you got to do some catch-up. Just gonna make sit a down and binge-watch a whole bunch of them, yeah. We're going to make a list for you. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm quite a movie buff. I watch movies a lot. But there's two that come on, if they come on TV, they, I kind of have to watch them. I can't walk away. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is A Few Good Men. Okay, yeah. I've probably seen it about 20 times, and I just think it's great. Um, the other one, which I kind of have a love-hate relationship with, but if it's on, I just can't not watch it, is The Green Mile. The Green Mile. How, how come you have a love-hate relationship? I have a guess, but go ahead. I, I, I don't know. I can't even answer that. Oh. But I just know when it's on, I'll definitely watch it, but I don't know. I just kind of have a... It's, it's, it's well done. It's not as good as the book. I think there's some cheesiness to it, but um, it's definitely, I just, I don't know, just kind of get hooked on it and can't turn away. All right, cool. Thanks, Brian. Yeah, we're talking about uh, which movie have you watched more than five times and it's still good. 519-570-2545, out of town, 1-800-570-5715, and hands-free at Star 570. So one of mine is a comedy film. And so I, I, I'm a big fan of Chris Farley. Of course, the now late Chris Farley. And so one of my favorite comedy movies of all time is Tommy Boy. And, you know, so Chris Farley and David Spade are great together. You know, I'm not normally a fan of a lot of the, you know, the, you know, the physical humor. There is some physical humor in that film. But, uh, yeah, Tommy Boy with uh, Chris Farley and David Spade. And then there was there was a, I guess, I don't know if you can't call it a sequel, technically, because I think a sequel would, you know, you have all the same characters. But there was another movie that came out a couple of years later. I guess you kind of a loose sequel, because it also starred Chris Farley and, and David Spade. And it was called, uh, you know what, the name of the film has slipped, Black Sheep. That's what it was, Black Sheep. And that's a movie about David Spade's, sorry, Chris Farley, The his brother is running for mayor or governor or something like that. And David Spade is hired to keep Chris Farley away from the election campaign because he's going to do nothing but just ruin the brother's chances for winning the election. And so I, I I tend to watch that one around election time because it's a little bit relevant, I suppose. A, a little underrated, not as good as Tommy Boy, but Chris Farley and David Spade were always great together. What is a movie you've seen more than five times and it's still good? Gary? Good afternoon, Polly. How are you? Uh, not too bad. How are you doing, Gary? I'm doing great. I have two, actually. Mm -hmm. Uh, One is Dances with Wolves. I just watched the other day again. Mm -hmm. Great movie. And Gran Torino. Okay, I've never heard of Gran Torino. What's that one about? Well, you'll have to watch it, but I I don't want to tell you about it. You just have to watch it. It has... um, Oh, cheaper than Henning. Who is it? Clint Eastwood, I think, is is starring in that one, I think. All right, cool. But you'll have to watch it. It's really good. It's it's actually can be a little bit of a tearjerker. 
Ah, all right. Good to know. Thanks, thanks for the warning, Gary. <laughs> Sam, go ahead. Hey, Paul. I have two as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one is The Hangover. Yeah, that's a funny movie. I have seen that one. That's one of the two movies I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the other one? The sorry, Conjuring. say it again. You cut out. Oh, sorry. The Conjuring. The Conjuring. Yeah, okay. The I've never heard really? of that one. What's that one about? What's the plot there? It's a, it's a horror movie about these two people. It's actually based on actual events. And, and they have to provide like, a whole bunch of haunted houses and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Really neat. All right, cool. I'm not a big fan of horror films, but every now and again the mood strikes me. Maybe I'll uh, I'll check that one out. Is this is is this uh, is this Paulette? Yes, it is. Okay, and what's a movie you've seen more than five times and is still good? Um, our favorite one is Twelve Angry Men, the 1957 version mm-hmm. with George C. Scott and Lee J. Cobb, Henry Fonda, a lot of good stars. Mm-hmm. Um, are you familiar with it? No, I don't know if I've ever heard of it. It's, yeah? a, it's a group of um, jurors, 12 men. They're in, in one room, and it all takes place in one room, and it's all the different emotions and the accusations, etc. It's just a very intense movie, but it's just wonderful. The acting is just amazing. All right, cool. And another favorite one is The Princess Bride. Oh, that's, yeah, inconceivable. That's yeah. right, I love that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great one. My my, my favorite scene in, in Princess Bride is the one where there's uh, the two guys, <laughs> like the two stars of the film, there's the, the, the uh, poison potion scene, and he's trying to figure out, because one, one of the potions... It's poison, and so he's trying to figure out what it is. Well, you wouldn't put the poison in front of me, but that's what you would want me to think. So you obviously put it in front of you. And <laughs> yeah, I'm not gonna. If you've never seen the Princess Bride, it's 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 a really great movie. I remember the Princess Bride. Whenever there was a, a you know a, a snow day at school, and half the half the kids didn't show up, so you really couldn't do any kind of a lesson. For some reason, the teachers would always pull out the Princess Bride, and we'd watch that in school. <laughs> Bill, go ahead. Bill. Yeah. Yeah, do you have yeah. a movie you've uh, seen more than five times and is still good? Yeah, I got two. Uh, the first one is Bridge on the River Kwai. Okay, I've never heard of that one. Never heard of it. No. Well, it's about British soldiers taken prisoner by the Japanese, and okay. they want them to build a bridge for them. It's, uh, it's a really good movie. And the second one is Shawshank Redemption. Yes, that's my number one. That's the one I've been reluctant to mention because I knew somebody was going to bring it up. <laughs> yeah, they played that a lot through the pandemic, uh, you know, earlier in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. It was always on. Yeah, it's always on a couple of the different movie channels. Uh, it's, I don't know if it's AMC or whatever. Yeah, the Shawshank Redemption is my number one film that no matter how many times I see it, uh, it's still good. And, you know, if I'm having a a bad day or a bad week, I'll put that film on and, and I'm able to just kind of forget all my problems for a couple of hours. The Shawshank Redemption, that that is my number one film that I've seen multiple times and it's still good. And going back to our earlier caller, I think it was... Um, I think it was Brian was mentioning the Green Mile, and I was wondering if because the Green Mile seemed to be a very similar to the Shawshank Redemption. And in fact, I think 
some of the same producers might actually have been involved in that film, which is why it had a very similar feel and maybe even the plot was similar. But the, the Green Mile to me seemed to be very similar to the Shawshank, Shawshank Redemption, except with kind of a paranormal element to it. I didn't mind the Green Mile, but it, it it's always seemed to be a little bit kind of a, you know, a, a, a copycat of the Shawshank Redemption. Brian, go ahead. Brian. Hey, how are you? Good. Do you have a movie you've seen five times and is still good? I've got a couple of them. Mm-hmm. Field of Dreams. So I say it again? Field of Dreams. Oh, yes. That's a great one, of course. Yeah. And Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. That, you know what? I totally forgot about that one. And that one, you know what? I think I like that one even more than Tommy Boy. That one's yeah. so funny. Yeah, it is. Thanks a lot. Yeah, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is a classic film from the 80s, if you've never seen it. John Candy and Steve Martin. And it's about their trip across America because I guess I guess there was a, there was a snowstorm in Chicago. And so f- the flight got rerouted from New York to Chicago, and they end up in Kansas. And it's about their adventure trying to get back to Chicago on Thanksgiving weekend. And they use all sorts of modes of transportation, planes, trains, and automobiles as the title would suggest. Dan, go ahead. Well, I got to go along with the Shawshank Redemption mm-hmm. when I was going to throw in there. Well, but you beat me to it, or the other lad did. But yeah, really good movie. I've watched it several times. But some other ones right up there on my list. Uh, mm-hmm. Serve with Love. I've watched multiple times. On the other side of things, Julia Roberts, Aaron Brockovich. Tremendous movie, I thought. Yeah, I've never seen Aaron Brockovich. It's one of those, I know it's based on a true story. It's it's one of the ones I've always wanted to see. It's on my short list. Well, shorten your list up and go to the movies. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Yeah, as I said at the beginning of the of the segment, I'm not a, a not a big movie guy, but I guess I, 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 you know, I, it's easy to change that, I guess. Mike, go ahead. Hey, Polly, how you doing? You're doing a fine job, Polly. Thanks a lot, Mike. Uh, I got two of them, uh, The Untouchables. Okay, yeah, I've never seen that one, yeah? Oh, that's a great one. And Jaws. I've seen bits and pieces. I don't think I've, so to speak, uh, It's because it used to be on television yeah, all the time. Yeah, I was the other night there, a couple of nights ago. Oh, it's still on, eh? Yeah, yeah, that, but The Untouchables, Paulie, you got to see that with Sean Connery and Kevin. That's a really good one. Cool. Thanks, uh, thanks. thanks Mike. Jason, go ahead. Paulie. Yeah. Having uh, an eight-year-old and a three-year-old, uh, both daughters, I can tell you what movie, movies I've watched five times in the last two weeks. Oh, wow. Two in, a, in Encanto. But uh, Black Sheep was the other one by Farley and Spade. I don't know if anybody mentioned that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was kind of the sequel, even though technically yeah. it wasn't a sequel. It's very underrated. It's very funny. Not as good as Tommy Boy. No, definitely not. Uh, my two... Goodfellas and Castaway. Something about those. I just, I just drop everything and I'm mesmerized by Tom Hanks for two hours, just mm-hmm. not really doing anything and not talking. Yeah, I think. Have I seen Goodfellas? I oh, there's De Niro there's, and oh, that's a great movie. And and uh, Joe Joe Pesci and oh, I fantastic. think I have. There's two movies in that era. I think there's both might be Joe Pesci movies that I get mixed up. One I've seen and one I haven't. You got Casino, Donnie Brasco, and Goodfellas all within the same kind of time frame. Yeah, maybe I have seen Goodfellas. <laughs> all right, cool. Thanks, Thanks Jason. Thanks. Oh, sorry, I, I, I cut you off there. <laughs> itchy, uh, itchy trigger finger, lots of calls to get to. 
Terry, go ahead. Hey, Paulie. Uh, listen, uh, the uh, Shaw- Shawshank Redemption was kind of uh, not to the exact point, but it was similar to Escape from Alcatraz. Remember that movie? With I never. I, ne- I knew they made a movie about it. I, I've never seen the Escape from Alcatraz movie. But it was a similar concept. I mean, mm-hmm. the pain in the ass warden and they. Yeah. So anyway, the two that come to mind is uh, the original Planet of the Apes, the one from back in 68 uh, with uh, Charlton Heston. Yeah. And the Dirty Harry movie, the first one, uh, the very first one out of the five, I guess. But right. the first was the best, and that one I could watch over and over and over. Those are the two, Paulie. Okay. All right, cool. Thanks, Terry. And we have time for one more. Let's go to Dan. Dan, go ahead. Hi, Paulie. Just want to say you guys are doing a great job. Thank you. Uh, I have one, and... I watch it every time I get a chance. The Departed. Have you ever seen that one? The Departed. No, I've heard of it, but I haven't seen it. Fantastic! It had all the actors that play in it, and it's all big top actors, and it is great. You have to watch it. It's like uh, there's a mole in the police station, and it's with gangsters and everything else. Jack Nicholson is in it. Wahlberg Brothers. And right. It, it's a fantastic movie. All right, cool, Dan. Thanks a lot. All right, thank you. Thank you. We've got to take a break. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. We've got time for one more quick, quick, quick call. Kelly, do you have a movie that you've seen more than five times? The hills are alive. <laughs> the sound, the of, sound of music. Yes, the sound of music. Cool. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Kelly. <laughs> That's a great way to end it. So, yes, uh, Brittany, who was unable to join us in this segment, producer, the life of a producer changes every 15 seconds and things pop up and sometimes you got to change things on the fly. Brittany told me her movie that she's seen more than five times and is still good, Weekend at Bernie's. Now, I, I saw that film years ago when it came out. I don't remember any specifics about it, but... Uh, I, I never would have thought that Weekend at Bernie's is a film that's still good even after you've seen it five times. But again, you know, to each their own. So, yeah, that that was Britney's film that she's seen five times and is still good. Uh, coming up next, we uh, Premier Ford is just right now in the midst of making an announcement in Toronto. We're not going to carry the announcement, but we intend to carry the question and answer period because that's always an interesting time. This is City News 570 Kitchener Today. (music) Producer Polly, that's me, in with you on Kitchener Today. My wife gets a kick when (laughs) when I say that. I go, Producer Polly, that's me. And uh, she said I should get a I should get a sound effect of Super Mario. Is it from the video game? That's me, I'm Mario. <laughs> anyway, uh, Kitchener Today on City News 570, producer Polly in with you this afternoon. Coming up at 2.30, uh, we'll be speaking with Lee Cooney. She is the uh, founder, co-creator of a movie theater in Stratford, which is a little different than maybe any movie theater you've ever been to, and it sounds like an interesting concept. And I like the idea, so we'll we'll be speaking with her. Now, right now, we are waiting on the uh, press conference from Doug Ford. So Doug Ford 
and a few other people are making an announcement right now in Toronto. That announcement is still in the process of happening, and we'd like to bring you the question and answer period. So let's do this. Let's take a break, get that out of the way, and then we'll come back with the question and answer portion of that news conference. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. Producer Polly in with you today. We're waiting on the question and answer session from the uh, Doug Ford News Conference. There's a lot of people there today. Come on. All right, so let's let's reach into my pile of stuff. Little offbeat stories and things like that. Now, are you working remotely? Lots of us are working remotely. I'm not. I've been at the station the entire pandemic, but many people are now here are the most common non-work activities that are occurring on work devices a lot of folks have been working from home in the almost two years and there's no doubt that many people love it one reason folks enjoy working from their couch is that bosses have a hard time keeping an eye on them which is why it seems plenty of people are doing more than just work during work hours, according to a new UK poll, which, of course, can easily translate here in Canada, finds that folks who work remotely are using their office computers for more than just work. The most common non-work activities going on during work hours, uh, the top 10, uh, the top one is browsing social media. That comes in at 17%. 17% of people are browsing social media on their work devices during work hours. Instant messaging, uh, instant messaging friends, that's at 15%. I I guess that would be, well, I guess Facebook Messenger. When I think instant messaging, I think of, you know, ICQ, which nobody uses anymore, MSN Messenger, which I don't even think is even around anymore. But yeah, 15% of people are messaging friends on their work devices during work hours. 11% are online shopping on their work devices. Uh, Browsing online media, I guess that might mean, you know, YouTube and things like that. That comes in at 11%. Doing kids' homework. What do you mean? What, you're doing your kids' homework for them? That comes in at 10%. Streaming film or TV shows. During work, I suppose maybe, I mean, my my wife listens to the radio during, you know, while she's working, although I think maybe she does it on her phone, but I guess, you know, something like that, maybe you could put into the background. But anyway, yeah, streaming film and TV shows, 10% of people are doing that on their online or, or on their work devices. Gaming at 8%. Now, maybe this, does this include lunch break? Because, you know, may, maybe you're on a lunch break for... You know, an hour and, I don't know, maybe 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 you can do some gaming. I don't know. But, again, this, these are the top things that people are doing on their work devices during work hours. Gaming comes in at 8%. Uh, gambling. People are gambling at work. <laughs> that comes in at 5%. And keeping your kids entertained comes in at 4%. So... There you go. Uh, okay, so somebody called in a couple weeks ago 
and suggested that whenever I get nervous or ever I need to fill time, I always turn to food. <laughs> I hadn't noticed that, but I do have a couple of different food-related items here. So, Burger King. Burger King, they are reducing their amount of nuggets. Now, this is due to supply issues. Fans of Burger King chicken nuggets, buckle up. Courtesy of a supply chain issue, the number of chicken nuggets in an order is being reduced from 10 to 8. And that's not all that's going away. The Whopper has also been removed from the two-for-six or two-for-five promotion menu as for the Nuggets. The number might be going down, but the price isn't. So the number of, of, of Nuggets in your Whopper meal is going down. Okay, Krispy Kreme, another food-related item. Krispy Kreme has dropped some new donuts some new flavors. I think the closest Krispy Kreme that we have here is in Mississauga. And I will admit, my wife and I, on a couple of occasions, we know as the mood strikes us, we actually have taken an impromptu trip to Krispy Kreme. Let's go to Krispy Kreme, get a dozen donuts. We're not doing anything this afternoon. So there's a few new flavors. If you like Krispy Kreme donuts and Twix candy bars, that's one of them. You'll be excited to hear about three new donuts that are being rolled out by Krispy Kreme. Here's the rundown of the new offerings. Caramel cookie crunch bar, donut filled with a Twix cookie bar. It's a bar-shaped donut. So that means I guess that it's not round. It'll be like... Kind of long and narrow like a Twix bar? That sounds interesting. It's a bar-shaped donut that is filled with a Twix bar and a, co- a chocolate cream then dipped in chocolate icing, drizzled with chocolate icing and uh, what is the, I don't even know what that is, and topped with more Twix pieces. Well, that sounds good. They also have a caramel cookie crunch original filled donut topped with Twix cookie bar pieces. Oh, so these, all three of these donuts are related to Twix. Okay, I get it now. It's a chocolate ice donut with salted caramel. Caramel or caramel? That's a debate that we've had on the radio before. Uh, Caramel filling that is topped with Twix bar pieces and drizzled. All right. Uh, And then we also have a uh, mini caramel cookie donut topped with Twix cookie bar pieces. It's a Krispy Kreme original glaze that's dipped in chocolate icing and topped off with Twix bar pieces. So there you go. We've heard a little bit about this in the news the last couple of, I don't know, maybe the last week or so, that the Wendy's is... Introducing a new breakfast menu. They are entering the breakfast market. The company behind the Wendy's burger chain is launching a coffee and breakfast menu at its restaurants across Canada for the first time in more than four decades. Uh, That is aiming to steal market share away from Tim Hortons and other fast food incumbents. 
as commuters reform their morning routines post-pandemic. Quote, no one has any born right to be at the top, said Abigail Pringle. She is chief development officer at the Wendy's Corporation, said ahead of last week's breakfast announcement, the Dublin, Ohio-based burger chain sees Canada already its most important market outside of the United States as a national a, nat- a natural place to expand. It's uh, betting that breakfast and Canadians' caffeine addictions will accelerate that growth, allowing franchises to extract more revenue using their existing assets. Wendy's is late to the breakfast market that Tim's and McDonald's Corporation, Starbucks Corporation, and others have been fighting over for decades. The one reason that Wendy's in Canada has yet to enter the breakfast market is because, as you may remember, for many, many, many years in here in Canada, Wendy's and Tim Hortons were owned by the same parent company. So they didn't want to, I guess, kind of cannibalize their own sales. The questions are here. Let's go to the question and answer period from uh, the... Doug Ford news conference happening right now. You're the only people who don't want. <laughs> Excuse me. Hi, Premier Matthew Bingley, Global News. Uh, my question is on the Ottawa protests. When you were uh, issuing the provincial state of emergency, you warned that everything was on the table, that vehicles could be seized and forfeited. That mic is getting louder. Now we're hearing that those vehicles are being returned. And I'm wondering on not only the deterrence factor, for future protests, but as well as the message it sends to the people of Ottawa, do you feel that this response is that strong, it follows through on that strong threat that you first promised? Well, first of all, I want want to thank uh, all the the police agencies across the country that helped out there. They showed uh, absolutely great leadership. And absolutely. and, and, you know, that, that's the first time that's ever happened, but I, I can assure you that uh, we'll make sure it doesn't happen again, no matter if it's in Ottawa or holding up uh, our, our trade corridors on the bridge that cost us $700 million uh, every every single day. Uh, we live in Canada. We, we, we just can't tolerate people holding a million people uh, hostage. of the deregulation of uh, traditional Chinese medicine. Uh, I'm wondering first why your government has decided that this needs to be a priority and also what concerns you have about uh, any uh, just opening this up to anyone to place a needle in perhaps someone's body in an Ontario body. Before I pass it over to the Minister of, of Health, we, we inherited a, a broken system and it really prevented uh, anyone speaking Mandarin or Cantonese from really writing the uh, exam in that. So we're, we're trying to fix the, the problems that we, we inherited. I have a strong relationship with our Chinese community, I think the world of them, and uh, we're, we're out there just trying to fix the problem that, again, uh, we heard from the community uh, broadly, right right across on Ontario. But I'll, I'll pass this over to our, our Minister of Health. Been our government's first priority, and that remains the same. 
the Premier has spoken to the, uh, some of the issues that were involved with some of the traditional Chinese medicine practitioners not being able to practice. But what we're proposing to do is to turn, transition the regulation from the College of Traditional Chinese Medical Practitioners to the Health and Supportive Care Providers Authority of Ontario. And this is the same authority that regulates uh, personal support workers as well. So we have confidence that they will do an effective job and that they will protect the interests of the people of Ontario. With respect to acupuncture, uh, that is not going to be unregulated. That is going to continue to be monitored and regulated by the local public health agencies. Thank you. This one? Oh, is the mic going to work for me? Yes, it seems like it is. <laughs> Hi, Premier and, and everyone else. Uh, Premier, my, my question is for yourself and perhaps uh, the Solicitor General, if she cares to weigh in. Um, yesterday morning, QP Briefing reported that a member of the Ottawa Police Services Board, well, now no longer a member, uh, Bobby Sueda, had attended the protests in Ottawa. Later on the evening, uh, your office shared that all three provincial appointees to the Ottawa Police Services Board had resigned. What did the government learn between the morning and these members' decisions that led to those decisions? Pass that to the Solicitor General. Now, the illegal occupation in Ottawa was unprecedented in Ontario's history. It is why the City of Ottawa has chosen to take a new direction with their police services board and their leadership. Um, the mayor has been working with us from the very beginning and because the city of Ottawa has chosen to take a new direction with their police services board, uh, we accepted the resignation of the three provincial appointees. So we're working with the city of Ottawa. They're, they're leading that new direction with an independent police services board. And we will, in the coming days, have provincial appointees to make sure that the oversight that is so important for police services boards continues. Thank you. I suppose I'll ask again, what did the government learn between yesterday morning and the evening that led to these members' resignations? And in the spirit of having a follow-up, um, which local MPP recommended that Bobby Sueda be appointed to this board originally? And I would appreciate if you could weigh in, Premier. Uh, fair enough. Um, there, there's approximately 3,500 appointments, and um, yes, do I have to sign off on it? I, I do. But do I dig into all 3,500? Uh, I don't. And uh, I'll be able to get the answer on, on who recommended these. To tell you the, the truth, I, I didn't look into every single detail about the, that appointment, uh, like I, I don't on the 3,500 appointments. But I can assure you we're going to replace uh, that board with three solid uh, members that will be able to represent uh, the people of Ottawa and, and support our, our police services in, in Ottawa. Thank you. Hey, good afternoon, Premier. Um, a, a question about policing in the province that I think would might be of interest to a lot of the people here. Um, when the state of emergency was first enacted on February 11th, you said then, and you said multiple times, that you were going to turn those emergency orders into legislation. Uh, the state of emergency ended, I believe, last Wednesday. We haven't seen the legislation yet. Is your government still planning to turn it into legislation, and what are the complications in doing so? Well, Colin, we're, we're looking into that. Uh, we're analyzing everything that, that 
happen. Again, this is the first time that's ever happened in our country, and there's a lot to review, and we'll be sitting down with our Solicitor General and uh, other folks that were involved uh, to come up with a plan. We just don't do it overnight after we, uh, you know, drop the state of emergency. Uh, we'll come up with a proper plan, but we're going to make sure that there's a real deterrent for anyone to do this again. On another subject, uh, the subject of masking. Uh, I think we ask you this every few days, and I think maybe we're getting closer to the answer. So you've said after March break, you've said sometime in March. Can you give us a date for when the masking policies will be finally lifted across Ontario? Sure. Uh, there, there's there's a person out there that I talk to that says they like these masks, That's first of all. and But I always follow uh, followed the health and, and the science. I've always listened to the chief medical officer, and I'm going to continue to listen to him. And hopefully a recommendation will come over the next uh, week or so or a couple of weeks, and we'll take him up on that recommendation, hopefully uh, as soon as possible. Hi, Premier. Natalie Kalata from CBC. I'm offering uh, this question on behalf of a colleague. Uh, considering the average price in Toronto right now for detached homes $2 million and supply isn't going to change anytime soon, what, if anything, can you do now to help with the price of housing? Well, I'll tell you what we have done. We had the largest uh, housing starts, over 100,000 of them in 30 years, uh, plus the largest rental uh, starts uh, in, in 30 years as well. We have to uh, cut the red tape and all the bureaucracy. We're working collaboratively with all the municipalities and uh, I thought we had a really good meeting. I know Mayor Tory was there as well. Uh, all of us want to make sure that there's affordable housing uh, right across the province. At one time it used to be just Toronto and the GTA. It's not. It doesn't matter if you, you go up north now. Uh, but uh, we have a, a great housing plan. Uh, we, we had a, a great meeting with uh, the, the mayors and, and the chairs across the region. And we're going to make sure that uh, when applications go in, that they get approved as quickly as possible. They're going to make sure they, uh, you know, cross their T's, dot their I's. Uh, that, that's what we need to do. And there's a lot of tools that the province can always help the municipalities out as, as well. And we'll give them every tool possible to uh, make, make us uh, a lot quicker when it comes to uh, getting housing starts. The uh, part of the question and answer session from a, uh, a news conference happening right now with uh, Doug Ford and a few other people in Toronto. Uh, I just thought you'd like to hear that. The question and answers are always, uh, not always, but a lot of the time more interesting than the announcement. So, and of course, given the crazy time, it's always interesting to hear what he might be asked about. Coming up after the 2.30 News with Brittany Ramsey, we will be joined by Lee Cooney. She has co-founded a unique movie theater in Stratford. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. Welcome back to Kitchener Today on City News 570. Producer Polly in with you till 3 o'clock this afternoon. A tiny movie theater in a Canadian city famous for live Shakespeare productions is grabbing the spotlight on the world stage. I've been looking forward to this interview all afternoon with Lee Cooney. Lee founded the Little Prince Cinema in Stratford and uh, built the venue with support of friends. Lee, welcome to the show. Hi there. Thanks for having me. 
Now, where did you come up with? Well, you know what? Let, let tell me about your um, your theater first of all. Why is it unique? Um, <laughs> aside from its size, obviously being just thirteen seats, uh, it's really one of a kind. It's uh, we've been working on it for the last few years. Uh, it started out as a um, a sort of little hobby project to support local short filmmakers. You know, it was going to be just um, some fold-up seats and uh, a screen. And then it kind of just snowballed from there. We started uh, decorating and, you know, putting in some old-timey damask wallpaper and tearing the seating and uh, and putting in velvet ro- uh, velvet curtains and mm-hmm. ropes and things like that. And uh, and then, yeah, and then we sort of took a step back and said, you know, what, why don't we just really do this? And we built in a, a full concession and... Uh, you know, a custom-made little Victorian-esque arcade machine and things like that. So it's uh, it's really an experiential thing. It's the whole, from many walk in the door, it right. transports you back a little bit. So it's a little tiny movie theater with only 13 seats. Now, where where did you come up with this idea for a teeny tiny movie theater? Yeah, it's, uh, again, it kind of happened organically. We used to... Uh, I owned a, um, a retail store that dealt with handmade goods uh, for several years in the same space called Meet Your Maker. And this tiny room at the back of the store, we used to host little art shows in there. And uh, we used to host uh, competitions for um, amateur filmmakers throughout the year, um, or I guess once once per year. Annually, we, we would do that off-site. And we realized we could really do a somewhere to, to host those types of things throughout the year, smaller versions of them. So we started converting the already tiny space into an equally tiny movie theater, or I guess into a screening room at that time. Um, and yeah, and then it just, you know, we started looking online. We started Googling, obviously, to see what other people had done. We figured someone out there must have done something similar, and we wanted some inspiration. And that's how we came across the Guinness record. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll get to that. In a, yeah, we'll, we'll <laughs> get to that in a few minutes. Um, what are the, the benefits of of your smaller theater as opposed to one of the big, you know, 150 seat theaters? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's quite a few. Uh, first of all, being small means we can customize things for people. We get a lot of requests for birthday parties uh, for kids and that sort of thing. And it allows us to, uh, you know, we can, it, it, because most of the movies we screen are older uh, quote unquote. So I mean, anything from three months old to, hundred years old uh it's you know we try to you know we match the trailers and things like that the commercials even if we can do it we try to match them to to the era of the movie cool uh yeah things like that right then we play you know our old we have an old radio that that we have a bluetooth speaker in there in there and it plays old tiny music um you know it's but i think overall it's really especially we, we could never have predicted the pandemic when we started building it but it's really worked out well for us, obviously. It's small, it's safe, it's comfortable for people. You know, you can get together with your family or your social bubble. And uh, and you, and also, especially when it comes to kids. I mean, you know, kids are kids. They get antsy, they crawl and squirm, and, you know, they want to talk over the movie. And there's no one there to shush you because it's just you and your <laughs> friends and your family. So I think that's been the biggest response so far has been just the the quality of the two hours you spend here is often a lot more relaxing than the time you would spend in a huge megaplex. So so th- this theater has a unique theme, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of uh, anything pre-sort of roaring 20s, uh, maybe even the 30s and previous. So when we started out, we wanted something in the t- sort of the golden era of, of Hollywood, up to, somewhere up to the wherever that would be, I guess, in the 50s maybe. And,
and uh, but with an emphasis on on the on the twenties thirties time range. And then we figured, well, if you're a business that existed in the twenties and thirties, then you probably have some leftover Victorian era decor in your mm. space. So then we started going a little bit further back, and now the whole space is yeah, it's designed to appear like it comes from that era. Uh, a little mishmash of about four to five decades. And I, the, one of the pictures I saw, it looks like you have a concession stand as well. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we everything is custom. So there's a lot of a lot of attention to detail. We built a full concession stand with obviously candy and uh, we we have a popcorn machine, but we customized the popcorn machine to look like it was also from that era. Uh, you know, same with the arcade machine. We did the same thing with that. So everything looks like it's from the early 20th century. Uh, but yeah, it's a fully licensed, fully stocked. We make our own cotton candy as well. So we have like I don't know, 60 flavors of cotton candy as well. Um, and, you know, so, yeah, the whole, it's, a, it's everything that a movie theater would have, just tiny. <laughs> now, do you have, like, pre-screened movie times, or do people rent out the space? And, and, like, and, and can they pick the movie, too? Yes, uh, both. So we do have, like, sort of blocks set aside that we try to stick within, um, three to four blocks of time a day. Um, and then we... Again, when we started, we were hoping to do ticketed, tiny ticketed events, little novelty things. But, of course, COVID changed that, so we adapted a little bit. And we started uh, emphasizing private rentals for uh, groups so that, you know, they get all 13 seats. No matter how many people are there, they get all 13, and they get the whole space front and back, the lobby, their own bathrooms and all that. And then we have a catalog of somewhere in the range of 30,000 movies, Um generally, again, three to six months old and mm-hmm. further back. And we let people pick their own movie so they can choose just about anything they want. They can have a new movie, too, if they want it, but the the licensing is quite expensive on a, on a brand new movie. So, Ah, okay. Cause I was, I was going to ask, too, like, what if somebody wanted to have a Super Bowl party? Are you hooked up to a television, or is it like just movies? Or maybe they can no, play video can games those, or yeah. something. Yeah, no, we have several inputs that we can that we can use. We, uh, we have it hooked up so that we can hook up to... The internet. We have streamed some live, you know, concerts and things like that for mm-hmm. people. Uh, we've had video game nights as well. People want to hook up their games and, and spend a few hours doing that. Um, and then it just really, yeah, when it comes down to um, events like, say, Super Bowl, it would really be a licensing thing. I'm not 100 percent sure because we haven't. We've had. We've definitely had people ask about it, right? But we haven't pursued it yet to find out exactly how that would work. But it's doable for sure. And according to uh, the news release. I saw you can get married at the theater too. Yeah, yes, we do occasionally do um, little micro weddings. I'm also a wedding officiant, and I have been for about seven or eight years. I do that as a little side thing. It's all, I enjoy doing it, and uh, I traditionally I've always pre-COVID I've always gone out to people's weddings. Obviously, I'd, I'd go to wherever I needed to be. And then when we started building this, we thought, you know, it would be fun. And so we built a tiny little stage to seat sort of a single musician. And uh, we worked the place so that everything could be moved around to host a tiny uh, micro wedding. And, yeah, we've never promoted it, but we've had a lot of people ask, I think, just because the the unique ambiance, you know, the decor is very, it makes for a nice backdrop, right? So, mm. yes, we do that as well. Now, I understand the theater was recently honored with a unique achievement. Tell us about that. Yes, it was. So we started in about summer about summer about 2019 when I, when I started building it. Uh, again, when I was looking for influence, uh, some inspiration of, you know, 
looking, someone out there must have done this, so I wanted to see what was out there. And somewhere along the way, I came across the Guinness World Record for the world's smallest movie theater, which was about five or six seats bigger than what we were building. Mm-hmm. So somewhere very early on, I thought, hey, this could be fun. You know, maybe, maybe we're already sort of going in that direction anyway. So in, I think it was November 2020, we applied to Guinness World Records to be recognized as the world's smallest movie theater. Uh, and it took us until about a week ago. <laughs> To, to finish that, um, of course, because it's hard to be the smallest cinema in operation if you're not operating. So, right, of course. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so we, we heard about it about a week ago. We got back, they got back to us, and uh, after a lot of back and forth and jumping through a lot of hoops, um, you know, a lot of witnesses and architects and so on and so forth, we um, were acknowledged as the smallest purpose-built cinema in operation. So- and, yeah. So what is involved in setting a world record? Like, I guess, so take me through this. So you had to apply, but then what happens then? Do people from, uh, you know, the Guinness Book of World Records, people have to come to the theater and, and, and check it out and confirm it? How does that work? Yeah, theoretically, that's exactly how it would work, actually. Um, but, of course, Guinness is a UK-based organization, so uh, it's hard for them to get over here <laughs> to do some measurements. So they um, put on us to find our own witnesses, and they had to, of course, be you know respectable members of the community that could be trusted. So we had the mayor, and we had um, some police officers and city councillors, and, and uh, those, for the most part, functioned as our witnesses. And then we, where we got stuck was Guinness wanted, and again, I'm paraphrasing here, but they wanted someone along the lines of a, a, a historian with a specialization in like the history of bricks and mortar movie theaters in North America or something. Mm-hmm. And it was really specific. So we couldn't find that person. So we settled on um, a local um, architectural historian and a University of Toronto um, professor in the film studies department. So between the two of them, they they acted as our as our expert witnesses. And then we had to have, uh, again, architects and drawings done and photos and videos taken and all sorts of things. Uh, it was a very, very long and arduous process, but it was worth it. So. so you'll be listed in the next Guinness book that comes out as the world's smallest movie theater. Do you know when that book is coming out? I don't. Uh, I've actually mean to look into this myself because I know they don't do it every year. I assume it's every two or three years, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but even then, honestly, like so, as of right now, we're automatically listed in the Guinness database. And we're on the website and things right. like that, so it's it's easy to find. But as for the book, it's really a bit of a a gamble, I guess. You know, they have something like there's forty thousand records, I think, worldwide um, that, that Guinness has, and of course, they don't all fit in the book. So they have already warned us that there's a chance you might not make it in there. Right. Uh, but we're you know, we're pretty tenacious, so I don't I don't give up easily. So I intend on sort of hounding them for the next year or whatever it takes uh, to really push to get it into the book because it's a very visual thing too, right? So it would work really well, I think. So we feel positive about it. But worst case scenario, we will always be the smallest until someone else beats us. So. So it's called the Little Prince Cine Lounge. Where did you come up with the name? Yeah, well, it was uh, uh, it was influenced by two things, I guess. Uh, one was the Little Prince book, of which I'm a big fan. But originally, it came from um, the Princess Cinema in Waterloo. I'm oh, a big okay, fan cool. Of them. 
Yeah, so I grew up, I mean, all through my teenage years and in my 20s, I was, I was, I still am a regular, actually, uh, with, you know, COVID, COVID being the exception, obviously. But, uh, yeah, so I'm, you know, I've been going there for years and I love it. And it's, it's, I think it's such a huge part of the culture. And I wish Stratford was big enough to host something like a princess. And so when we named this place, we thought it's a little like the princess, but small. And then we thought of the book, The Little Prince, and we thought, hey, you know, this could really work. And uh, that's where that came from. And uh, the Cine Lounge sort of came from the fact that um, it was it just basically some complications with the uh, building department. Like apparently you can't go around building tiny movie theaters <laughs> anywhere you want. So wow. it took us a, several months to figure that one out. And it turned out to be easier for us to pursue a cafe format. And uh, we're actually glad we did. As it turns out, we were able to get a liquor license and serve snacks and food and things like that. So uh, that's where that portion of it came from. So where can people find out more? Yeah, we um, obviously we have a, a social media page, which is, you know, at the Little Prince um, for all of them, Instagram, Facebook, etc. And our website is probably the best place, um, thelittleprincecinema.com. And because that's where we book, that's where we take all our bookings. We have a catalog on there, which is pretty limited at this point where I have to do them all manually. So it's about it's about 700 entries in there, I think, at this point. Um, but uh, and then all the information is on there. So that way people can look at the calendar on there. They can schedule their date. They can pick their movie and uh, and they can do everything. They can prepay for, for food as well if they want. That's probably the best place. So how, what has response been like so far since you opened, uh, I guess, in 2020? Um, COVID obviously, COVID obviously has, you know, put a damper on some (laughs) aspect, but there's been some points when we've been able to be open. Like, like, are people really like the idea? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, in fact, far more than I ever imagined. Um, I would say that honestly, COVID is probably being the best thing that ever happened to us. (laughs) We, we never could have predicted it, but you know, as it turns out, people don't want to get together with hundreds of strangers in uh, large movie theaters. Right. So it's like, we just happened to be there at the right time. And, uh, and yeah, in the, in the few months we've been open, it's been a lot of wow. And, you know, we get people walking through the door, just passing by and half an hour later they've booked, Uh, you know, the response has been absolutely overwhelming. People just love it. And that's fantastic because I really didn't know it was, uh, you know, when you do something a little outside the box, it's a bit hard to predict how it's going to be, how people are going to respond. But it's been phenomenal. So, Well, Lee, I love the concept, the idea, and I wouldn't be surprised if you see my name popping up on your booking list at some <laughs> point because I, I really do want to come and check this out. Please do. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's uh, it's really one of those things you have to experience to, to really, you know, get a full feel for it. So, All right, Lee, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day. You too. Lee Cooney uh, founded the Little Prince Cine Lounge in Stratford. And it's. It, it, I took a look at the Google Maps this morning. It looks like it's uh, right downtown. And uh, they built the venue with supportive friends and is now in the Guinness Book of World Records as the world's smallest movie theater. World's smallest movie theater, 13 seats. And it has a Victorian theme. It it really looks cool. And it's something that I'm honestly going to check out at some point. It's in Stratford. Again, it's called the Little Prince Cine Lounge. And you can find out more about them at thelittleprincecinema.com. 
We'll be back to wrap this thing up. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570. It's really worked out well for us, obviously. It's small, it's safe, it's comfortable for people. You know, you can get together with your family or your social bubble. And also, especially when it comes to kids. I mean, you know, kids are kids. They get antsy, they crawl and squirm, and, you know, they want to talk over the movie. And there's no one there to shush you because it's just you and your friends and your family. So I think that's been the biggest response so far has been just that the quality of the two hours you spend here is often a lot more relaxing than the time you spend in a huge megaplex. Lee Cooney, joining us, who uh, founded the Little Prince Cine Lounge in Stratford, and now in the Guinness Book of World Records as the world's smallest movie theater. You know that uh, I really enjoyed that interview, and actually, I was kind of surprised uh, just for a brief moment when Lee mentioned that uh, in some ways COVID is the the best thing that ever happened to them, which. You know, was it maybe a bit of a shocking statement when you first think about it? But then he goes on to explain that you know people don't want to be, you know, stuffed in a a movie theater with, you know, 150 other strangers, and 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 you know maybe maybe this is a way that you can stay within your social bubble. This tiny, this little teeny tiny movie theater of 13 seats. And again, it's really cool. You can pick the movie. And uh, I'm going to be checking that out. Very, very cool. So the, over the last week and a half that I've been hosting Kitchener Today here on and off on a fill-in basis, that that I think was one of my favorite interviews that we've done. Uh, last week, last Wednesday, we talked to uh, Betty Ann Keller. Now this, actually speaking of movies, uh, is producer of a film which celebrates the history of the music scene in KW. And that's that's a film that's going to be playing at the Princess Cinema in Waterloo later this month. And, you know, the the history of music in KW, a lot, like, a lot of people don't know. Like Elton John played the University of Waterloo. I was fascinated to find that out with our interview with uh, Betty Ann Keller. He played the University of Waterloo way back, right at the start of his career, in fact, they they booked the show at the University of Waterloo. And then Elton John made it really big. His first big single came out, and then the show happened. So all of a sudden, you had one of the biggest rising stars in all of music playing at the University of Waterloo, and he played multiple shows, and you couldn't get a ticket. So that, anyway, that was one of my favorite interviews with Betty Ann Keller, uh, producer of that film. Uh, it's called Rock This Town. And I don't even think the interview was over yet before my wife was was online and she bought tickets for one of the showings. So we're definitely going to go and see that later on this month at the uh, Princess Cinema. Earlier this week, we talked to uh, Jars Balan. He is director of Canadian Institute for Ukrainian Studies at the University of Alberta. I also deeply enjoyed that interview as well, getting to the the bottom of what led to this Russian invasion of Ukraine. You know, it just didn't start last week. It goes back uh, many, many, many years. And, and as it turns out, Vladimir Putin is still, um, I don't know, maybe not bitter, but couldn't quite accept the breakup of the Soviet Union. And Vladimir Putin is, is getting older and he kind of wants to 
maybe bring back at least some semblance of the Soviet Union. Ukraine was part of the Soviet Union. And, uh, you know, so, you know, Vladimir Putin's thinking about, you know, kind of, you know, his legacy as he gets older. I think he turns, what, 69 years old this year. So the, anyway, sp- speaking of interviews that I really, 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 really enjoyed, we, Tuesday at 1.30, we talked to Jars Balan. And I really feel after that conversation, I have a much better idea of, you know, what led to this Russian invasion of Ukraine. And really, one of the, my other favorite interviews that we did was last Friday. And we talked about, you know, independent artists and streaming platforms. And our interview with uh, Brienne Selman. She was a scholarly communications and copyright librarian at the University of Winnipeg. And you might remember after that interview, I played clips of my five favorite bands that no one has ever heard of. (laughs) I really enjoyed sharing that information with you. Well, we've come to an end of another edition of Kitchener Today with me, producer Polly. And uh, coming up next, of course, we have the afternoon news with Paul McPhee, and I believe it's Brittany Ramsey is in today. So that is coming up. Get all the news headlines you need on your drive home. That's uh, coming up at 3 o'clock. So I'm going to bid you farewell. This is Kitchener Today on City News 570.